All right, let's pray. Father, as we come and look at your word, I pray that as Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Lord, that your spirit would be powerfully among us. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. May you minister to your sons and daughters by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going through the Gospel of Mark. Not today, because today is Communion Sunday. On Communion Sundays, we are actually going through the Lord's Prayer. A very, very important prayer. But as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we've dealt with the topic, it seems like every chapter, the topic of trials... Um, Why? Because trials are a part of every person's life. Amen? If there was a way to be able to escape them, I would be all for it. But that's not the case. They are a part of everyday life, seasons of life, including Jesus's. So, this morning though, we come to a portion of the Lord's Prayer that is dealing with that issue. But trials are troubling for everyone. And when they come, they always bring a boatload of questions. Uh, questions like, why me? Why am, or as Brian uh, interrupted or came up and engaged the sermon. He didn't, some people asked, if you were here last week, when, when Brian came up, was that scripted? Was that planned? Absolutely not. Uh, but that being said, I've always given him permission to come up and engage me if he felt like there was something that wasn't clear or something that just needed to be reinforced. And, You know, we have fun with that, so occasionally that will happen. Uh, But it was not scripted, and I had a great time. But, you know, trials always bring a boatload of questions like, why me, you know? Um, I I feel like my life is being piled upon, and we talked a little bit about that last week. That's sort of the the self-pity question. Not in a bad way, but, you know, we ask that question. The, the, the next one is, uh, I don't deserve this. That's really a question that's rooted in anger. A lot of anger, you know, when you feel dismayed. Um, when we encounter these trials, the question that I've always got, though, is how do we process these trials with God? How do, we pro- how do we engage Him in what we are going through? And we can sit back and we can ask Him questions, but how do we engage Him in what we're going through? The Lord's Prayer, believe it or not, does this. The Lord's Prayer was, uh, is a framework in which Jesus related to his Father while he was here on earth. And when the disciples asked them the question, Lord, teach us to pray, we see that there's something special about how you engage your Father. We want to be able to enter into that. And so when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, or the disciples' prayers, I think it's more aptly called, Uh, He invites us to engage the Father the same way He did. The same way He did. So let's stand together this morning and let's recite this powerful prayer together, alright? Alright. Ready, begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. It is a way in which we engage God. 
It is a way in which we enter into the same kind of life with our Father that Jesus entered into His life with the Father. And that's what makes it so profound. On Sundays, on on Communion Sundays, I'm taking one stanza. Uh, Except this morning, I'm taking half a stanza. So, uh, it's just so rich, so rich. Uh, Today, though, we are dealing with that little phrase, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Well, Martin, what's that got to do with trouble? Um, Has a lot to do with trouble. Has a lot to do with trouble. Uh, You may wonder, well, is it trouble or trials or is it temptation that Jesus is talking about there? Great question if you were thinking that. Is it temptations or is it trouble or trials? A lot of ink has been spilled because uh, because of this, this whole issue of when you read that phrase, um, lead us not, lead me not in temptation, into temptation. Should it be temptation or should it be trials? A lot of ink has been spilled. To read it as, do not lead us into temptation, we have a problem. Because we know from James 1.13 that God will not lead us into temptation, right? He's not going to take um, a man who struggles with lust or a man who doesn't struggle with lust... He's not going to lead him to a strip club and say, what are you going to do now? He's not going to take an alcoholic and lead him to a bar and say, well, what are you going to do now? God will not lead us into temptation. Will not lead us into temptation. Now, that being said, temptations bring their own trials, right? Temptations bring their own trials. And trials bring their own temptations. So... Should it be, if it's not lead us into temptation, should it be lead us, do not lead us into trial? Well, if you've been around for, through the Gospel of Mark, you know that that is exactly what God at times will do. He will lead us into a trial. He will lead us into trouble. We see this with Jesus when the Holy Spirit, after His baptism, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit thrust Him into the desert where He was going to be tested by Satan Himself. So why is there the confusion? Because that little word for temptation or trial is really the same word in the Greek. The exact same word. So context determines whether or not it's temptation or whether or not it's trial. So which is the case here? Which is the case here? Well, I've kind of altered my thinking on this over the last couple of months as I've thought about this little word. See, that little phrase, do not lead us in temptation, is, can be translated as an ingress or a permissive imperative. That means nothing to you all, but it means this in terms of the final translation. Do not let us be overwhelmed by trials, if that's how you take that word, or temptations. Do not let us be overwhelmed, Father, by this trial that I'm experiencing or this temptation that I'm going through. It could go either way because temptations bring their own trials, right? Whenever I'm being tempted, it sure feels like a trial to me. And whenever I'm going through a trial, I tell you what, I'm tempted to do a lot of things. So I think that what Jesus, and this is sort of the the, the leaning of those who know a whole lot more than I do. And that is, it could be either or, but it should be translated 
as a permissive imperative, and that is, do not let me be overwhelmed. You know, you got to understand this, that Jesus understands what it means to be overwhelmed, doesn't he? Some trials are just simply overwhelming. And many of you are here today with that. As Jesus invites us into this prayer, to enter into this life with the Father that He was entering into, He says this, as a part of the rhythm of your life, as a part of the posture of your life, don't be afraid to cry out to Almighty God, your Father, Don't be afraid to call out to Him and say, God, right now I'm experiencing this trial or this temptation. And God, don't let me be overwhelmed by it. Because right now, it really feels a bit overwhelming. And when you look behind this this phrase, you realize that this is a cry, this is a cry of radical humility. This is a vote of no confidence in one's ability to withstand the pressures. This is a cry that admits that I have no confidence in my ability or my capacity to be able to stand up, to be able to stand firm, and to be able to resist trials or temptations. It is that kind of a radical humility that Jesus invites us into. In humility, in this humility, we cry out to God as we pray this prayer, as we allow this prayer to shape and form us to the core of our being. We allow this prayer, we admit this, Father, I am weak. It's kind of like an alcoholic going to an AA meeting, right? Hi, I'm Martin. I'm an alcoholic. I'm weak. I am weak. We don't like to admit weaknesses, don't do we? (laughs) Anybody here like to admit they're weak? I don't, because I want to be enough. I want to take whatever is in my life and say, I'm enough. I can handle this. I mean, after all, I'm the fix-it guy. I'm the guy who is... The pastor, I'm the guy who should be able to stand firm. I want to be able to stand before you and say, I am enough. But you know what? It's a lie. It's a lie. I am weak. And weaknesses oftentimes terrify us. And when we want to, when we do not want to admit them, but instead, we want to hide them. We say, I'm going to hide behind my masks. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not weak. I don't have a weakness. Problem? What problem? There's no problem here. And what you end up doing is you end up faking it until you make it. Fake it until you make it. It's a mask. It's a mask that is rooted in pride. And if we're not willing to admit our weakness but hide our weakness, you cannot really fully enter into what Jesus is calling us into in this prayer. You cannot really fully enter into that. We hide behind masks. We also overcompensate. Push harder. Try harder. Rather than to admit our weakness, we would rather say, I'm just going to give it 120% effort. I'm going to give it 120% effort. And once that is no longer enough, then we turn to self-medicating. 
We say we, we turn to drink, we turn to alcohol, we turn to smoking marijuana, weed, whatever they call it today. Um, and now it's legal. We turn to whatever it is just to numb our soul so that we don't have to face We don't have to face the cracks in our lives. We don't have to admit to anyone else that I'm weak and that I'm overwhelmed. I'm about to crash and burn. But these are only momentary escapes that numb us from these difficult realities. And Jesus says, instead of of hiding them, instead of overcompensating, instead of self-medicating, He calls us into a posture of prayer where He says this, Cry out to your Father and say, Father, do not let me be overwhelmed by this trial. Do not let me be overwhelmed by this temptation. But that takes incredible humility, doesn't it? Incredible humility. In humility, we also must admit that I'm vulnerable. That I'm vulnerable to anger. I'm vulnerable to doubt. That in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, in the midst of exposing and experiencing my weakness... I want, I'm, I want to get angry. I want to get, I, I, I stru- begin to struggle with doubt because trouble and trials and temptations, they will always test my trust. My trust in my Father. When God delivered Israel out of Egypt way back in Exodus, starting in chapter 3, they were at, Israel was at their lowest point. God calls Moses to the scene and God tells Moses, go call him out. And after a series of events and plagues, finally they relinquish to Moses and they say, we will go with you. And in great celebration, they march out of Egypt. And things are going well until they start to get to approach the the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, Israel... Egypt's men, their army starts to approach them and start to grumble and gripe and say, God, why didn't he just leave us in Egypt? He just brought us out here to kill us. What's going on there? That in the midst of the confrontation between this trial, being sandwiched between Egypt's army and the Red Sea, all of a sudden they begin to demonize their father. They begin to demonize the very one who delivered him and said, and all of a sudden they say, you know what? He just brought us out here to destroy us. And this is something that we do again and again and again. That when we experience trial and we experience uh, temptation, whenever that begins to happen, our immediate response is to begin to ask the question, why me, God? You must not love me. Or you must not be good. Why is that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? I've been thinking a lot about this in the last week or so. But it's because of this. That when we look at our, when we focus on our circumstances, we allow our, fo- our circumstances to begin to define our belief about our Father in heaven. We allow the difficult circumstances to define what we choose to believe and how we form our understanding of our Father who is in heaven. So therefore, when hard circumstances come up, 
all of a sudden we begin to allow those to shape our understanding and say, he must not be good because if he was good, then, then this wouldn't be happening. Then this wouldn't be happening. We start with the question and use the question to define our understanding of our Father. As opposed, as opposed to this, allowing our understanding of who our Father is and His character and His nature to shape my understanding of my circumstances. You see the difference between those two? If we start with an understanding of who God says He is and how, who He reveals Himself to be, and then we allow that to shape our understanding of our circumstances and who He is in the midst of our circumstances, we arrive at a very different point. A very, very, very different point. But trouble will always test my trust. It will always test my trust. And trouble will also test my trustworthiness. Because in the midst of that, in the midst of testing my trust and the raising up of doubts and and the demonizing of the character of my Father in heaven, all of a sudden my trustworthiness begins to evaporate like water on a hot cement. And I begin to say, you know what, I'm going to cut and run. I'm going to cut and run. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give it up. As Israel continued on their journey, they saw God do an amazing thing and part the Red Sea, and they went through and He dealt with Egypt's army. Then they go to Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden, life is good. They're worshiping their Father in a way that they never understood before. But then, things get a little hard. And all of a sudden, Moses disappears for a little while. And they didn't know when he was going to come back. They didn't have the answer to their questions. So therefore, they say, you know what? Let's build a golden calf. Let's build a golden calf. Their trustworthiness went out the window. No longer were they going to be faithful to their father. We are vulnerable to all of these things. We are vulnerable to all of these issues. When trouble and trial and temptation come, it tests my trust in my Father and it tests my trustworthiness in following my Father. Jesus says, no, instead of that, admit that we are weak and that we are vulnerable. And that Jesus, instead of fleeing from the Father in doubt and unfaithfulness. He says, cry out to Him. Allow this to shape your life. Father, do not let me be overwhelmed by this trial and this temptation, this test. I don't want to be overwhelmed by it, Father. Not only are we weak, not only are we vulnerable, but we are dependent And this is where we turn to our Father and say, Father, help me get through the very next moment. Ever been there? Anybody ever there when you're going through a trial or a test or a temptation and you say, Lord, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I am solely concerned about the next five minutes of my life. 
Lord, give me what I need to make it through the next five minutes of this trial, this temptation. This goes back to the previous phrase. Give us this day our daily bread, which is an expanded understanding of that is to say this, God, give me what, it need, what I need for this very moment in time. Give me exactly what I need because right now, Father, it doesn't feel like I have what I need. And that's what He invites us into. God, don't let me be overwhelmed. That cries out for a radical humility which where we admit that we are weak and we're vulnerable and we are dependent not upon our own strength but upon His. But upon His. But this is not just about radical humility. This is about authentic community because when we pray this prayer like what we did this morning, even though this morning was a bit rote, you know, we, we recited the prayer, but when we really begin to pray this prayer, we don't pray it by ourselves. We can, but Jesus never intended us to pray this prayer by ourselves. He intended for us to pray this prayer in community. In community. And that means as you go through this prayer in community, he says this, I want you to take each one of these phrases. And as you take each one of these phrases, think about it. Think about what that means. Pray this for one another. Pray this for yourselves. And when we get to this part about deliver us from these trials, these temptations, don't let us be overwhelmed. It presupposes it presupposes that we have an authenticity between us where we are able to share with real life, real people, what's really going on within us. You cannot pray this prayer. You cannot pray this phrase in an inauthentic, guarded, walled-off relationship. Oh, you can, but it doesn't mean anything. And Jesus invites us to take down the barriers, to remove the walls, and be willing to say, Father, Father, I need to share this with someone. As James says, so confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. He says, confess your sins, your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities. Be willing to share those areas that are warring against your soul, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2. Be willing to share with others those issues, those trials, those temptations, which are literally eating away at your soul, that are warring against you. So that you can not, not so that you can go gossip about it, but so that you can pray right then and right there that God would give you exactly what you needed to be able to get through the exact moment in time, to deal with the exact issue that you're dealing with. That's what He is calling us into. That's profound. But it's scary. It is frightening to us, isn't it? Anybody ever comfortable with that? Anybody not comfortable with that? Oh, come on, I stand alone? tough pray about those things which war against your souls but you don't pray about it just by yourself you pray about it together and as you do this as you do this you don't just pray 
He empathized with one another. Empathy is that ability to be able to look at a person and say, I know how you feel because I've been where you are. I know how you feel because I've been where you are. I've been exactly where you are. I've experienced what you've experienced. I've felt what you feel. See, when we go through these trials, we go through these temptations, which are common to all people, right? So there's nothing you've experienced that I don't experience. Now, some of you may think, Martin, that's scary. And there's nothing I experience that you haven't experienced. And I think that's scary. But we have the ability to to empathize with one another. As we go through these, those who have gone before you, those who are at a different place than you, the idea is that God has met you in your place of temptation, in your place of trial. And as a result of that, as a result of that, when someone comes to you and they share this, and you're able to say with them, I've been where you are, I've, I have felt what you feel, I've experienced where, what you're experiencing, you're going to be able to bring to bear the very comfort that God has given to you to them. We're like a conduit. One of the most difficult seasons in my life was when I went through depression. Was when I, I mean, I went through depression. And it was a dark, dark time. They even put me on Prozac and I got every side effect you could get. But there were mornings when I thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it. There were times when I entertained suicide. There were times when I thought everybody would be better without me. There were those times. There were those times. Very, very dark place. But as I came out of that, I remember telling Kim, I says, never again will I tell another person who's depressed to suck it up. Because that's what I used to think. Because I never experienced it before. But I will tell you this. God met me in profound, profound ways when I was going through that season of life. He met me. And sometimes it was for a day, sometimes it was for a moment during a day. But he met me. He met me. And I had a man who I would pray with, J.C. Williams, and we would come together and we'd pray. And through that time, he met me. And as a result of that experience that I had, I can't tell you the number of times that God has glorified himself through me by sharing that story with others who were struggling with depression. Because when you're in the midst of depression, you ask the question, will I make it through this? Is there a tomorrow? Is there hope? You ask that question. And I keep telling them, yes, you will. And God will meet you in the midst of that time. But it takes great humility. It takes an, an admission that I am weak. It takes a willingness to admit that I am vulnerable and I am dependent.
It takes a willingness to cry out to your Father who is in heaven and say, Father, do not let me be overwhelmed by what it is I'm going through. Because, Father, I am weak and I am vulnerable and I am dependent. Give me exactly what I need. Because if you don't, I am not going to make it. But it gives you empathy. It gives you empathy. I always love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. He says, The God who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we, He does this so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You become a conduit for the glory of God in the life of another person. Now, as I look back on that time, did it feel glorious? No. Would I want to go back through that again? No, no, and no. But would I trade it for anything? No, 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 and no. God used that in my life and He's used it in other people's lives. Throughout this, we not only, we not only uh, empathize with one another and we not only have be authentic with one another, but we encourage one another. And I want to close with this. One of my favorite passages on prayer it's really not about prayer. But one of my favorite passages is in Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus is just be, it's just before he goes to the cross. They've had the Lord's Supper. And Jesus turns around and he looks at Peter and he says this Simon, Simon. And in some translations you don't have this translated, but it's there in the original. It says, Pay attention. Pay attention, Peter. Because Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He has asked to press you again and again and again. Not only you, Peter, but all of you. All of the disciples he's referring to. Satan has asked to press you as wheat. He wants to test you. But I have prayed for you, Peter. Now, I've always wished Peter, Jesus would have said, I prayed for you and I've stood up for you and I've said, This far, no farther, Satan cannot touch them. Satan cannot have them. Satan cannot press them. But that's not what he says. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, that he would be trustworthy and that he would trust, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, He doesn't deliver him out of the trial, the pressing. Instead, He prays for him through the trial and the testing. And when you have turned back, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. The experiences that you have, the testings that God allows us to go through, are not just for our benefit, but they're for the benefit of the community of faith. And they're to be experienced within the context of prayer. Father, don't let my brother be overwhelmed by this temptation, by this trial. I've been praying that all week for some people. Father, don't let them be overwhelmed, because right now from where I said, Father, I said, Father, it feels like they're getting overwhelmed. But I have to say this, God, I will trust you with them. You know exactly what you're doing. 
You know exactly what you have allowed. And when we have turned back, we strengthen our brothers. That, that word for strengthen is interesting. It means attach a rod of support to something that is very, very weak and stressed. Attach a rod of support to that which is weak and stressed. Anybody feel that way? Folks, the pressure is on for some of you. The pressure is on and you wonder if you're going to fold. But I'm here to tell you that just as Jesus prayed for Peter, Jesus prays for each and every one of us. He prays for each and every one of us and He wants us to pray for each and every one of us as well. Amen? Father, as we have cried out to You as a community of faith, Lord, I would ask on behalf of my brothers and my sisters, Lord, that whatever it is they're facing, Lord, that they would not be overwhelmed. They would not be overwhelmed by the temptations and the trials that they are experiencing. But Father, together, we cry out to You. Lord, meet us. Meet each person here, those who stood, and Father, those who didn't. Meet each person here, Father, where they are. We are totally dependent upon You to do that. So Lord, do that. We ask You. And I trust You with my brothers and my sisters. In Jesus' name.